It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. And the words of the Players Association. We're almost there. Yeah, here we go. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ring RC. I'm Mr. Kwanga. I'm Ryan Han. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm okay, thanks, man. How are you? I am good. What is new? What is new? Nothing's new. The weather was actually quite good at the weekend. It was nice, huh? And it's scorching today. It's not scorching. It is, it is, because I went out to get a pastry this morning. What? It is. How many pastries? <laughs> wow. Do you know what? I just stopped with this pastry shaving. This pastry is shaving. I got cake shaved the other day as well. So I was with some oh. friends. I wandered past. They were playing some outdoor table tennis. And one of them had some carrot cake. And they're like, oh, yeah. It's like whenever you bring carrot cake out in public, you're going to attract Musa. Like how were long is like, it going to take? Just walking past and you were just like. <laughs> yeah, they said, we'll find him. Bring out the cake and we'll find him. I was like, oh my God, I got cake shamed yesterday. <laughs> pastry shamed today. But it's all good. I'm still happy. Oh no. Uh, apologies for you audio nerds out there. Uh, I'm a little bit more boomy today. I'm doing some amendments to the room. Mm. So couldn't get them done in time. Sorry. Sorry. Acoustic rye. They probably like it. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's my shoegaze podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You'll get someone coming up to you like. Dreaming. Two years later going, oh, that was my favourite episode. A bit of like, bit of effects on your voice. I really liked it. A bit of reverb. Yeah, reverb. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. It's been a long season. <laughs> it has, it has, it has. Uh, well, first of all, we hope everyone's staying safe and well and um, getting vaccinated if you can. Enjoying some nice weather if you're able to go out and about. Mm. But yeah, hope everyone's hanging in there. We've got a huge backlog of Stadio emails to get through. We started going through a few last week, but um, we should be able to get to them this week and next week. So apologies if you sent emails and haven't had a response yet. Um, some admin. 
quick. Yes, theringer.com forward slash soccer. There will be pieces going up this week. Yes, yes. You and I are kind of doing some exit surveys on, on a few leagues. Yeah, I did a preview of the Premier League, which is going up very soon. A preview? Oh, a review. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. I actually Whoa. wrote that in my file as well. I wrote that. Moose has <laughs> gone full tenet. Oh no. Did the season even do happen? the entire season backwards. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you've done the Premier League. Yes. I'm going to do a Bundesliga one. I don't know. We haven't divvied up the other ones yet. Probably do. Oh yeah, Serie A Liga. I might do that one. Okay. La Liga. Yeah, I'll, do, I'll do La Liga then. Yeah. Look out for those this week on theringer.com. Also, go read the other pieces on theringer.com. There's some amazing NBA playoff stuff at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mirin Fader, definitely one to watch. Mirin always hits the spot. Yeah, and the Ringer podcast stuff. And also the Ringer NBA Twitter feed is just hilarious as well. There's a place to go at the moment. Playoffs are there. The pace is not in it. The playoffs are very good at the moment Man, too. I, I really wish the play at the paces had just tanked. I really, I know it's not in the, it's not in the, uh, the franchise's DNA, mm. but do you know how many, I think the Pacers have had two top 10 picks in the last 30 years. 30 years. Wilder. Ryan, you really know how to pick your sports teams. I'm sorry to say it, but you, you don't go for the easy emotional experiences. I mean, where's the fun in winning stuff? Really? <laughs> I don't know. I've got a lot of friends who win stuff and they're very happy. Yeah, well, yeah, well. <laughs> they're really happy. It's the taking part that counts or something. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. is nothing like scraping into a play-in tournament and then getting absolutely hammered by the Wizards. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, a lot of injuries this season, though, to be fair. So it's not all doom and gloom. Not that going around, yeah. Righty's house on Wednesday. It will be the final Righty's House before the Euro preview. Who's on that? Who's starring on that one? Well. Yourself. You're looking at him. Oh my goodness. Well, no, actually, I'm very much supporting, supporting role. Obviously, Righty's the star. Look at that front too. What a treat. What a treat that is for the listeners. Yeah, I, I reckon I could have a conversation with Righty about his mistimed runs. Wow. Like, Righty, the thing is, my passes aren't shit, right? Yes, actually, your runs are dreadful. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> basically just hold your right just hold your run a little bit just hold your run a little bit talking of football jokes yesterday I was I was talking about something on Twitter unrelated to anything and then I got absolutely destroyed by a friend from uni going yeah I remember giving you a through ball and you scuffed it wide I'm like oh my god out of nowhere I mean that's a big metaphor for this podcast <laughs> big metaphor for this podcast I wow just, my expected assists oh, this season god. on this podcast has been otherworldly <laughs> the goal return version scored one in three. <laughs> that was scored a one. That's the thing that. So Union posted a thing, obviously, uh, on Saturday. It was like Musa off the post, thirty fourth minute, and I was just like, "That's this podcast." <laughs> Did I, there was ever a metaphor, and it's usually in the thirty fourth minute as well. Usually in the second part of the show. That's why I always laugh. I always laugh when I see those strikers who score a goal where they've done minimal work and they run off and like knee slide. <laughs> the I know. person, the person, the assist is like, "Hey, hey I'm right here. I did hey. all this work." <laughs> I mean, can relate. Can don't relate. even, no, don't can even acknowledge them. Relate. Uh, hard relate. Hard. Hard same. Oh, Moose is amazing on the Stadio podcast. Is he? Is he? Is he? Is he? Is he? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I'm glad that you're enjoying him. Yeah, someone is. <laughs> Thousand yard stare. <laughs> right, just gazing into the ether. 
<laughs> Sick of this bullshit. Uh, wow, no, we're killing the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, I need a break. No, <laughs> it's the injury time. <laughs> I'm in the red zone. I've been, the, I've been in the red zone since right November. I've been in the red zone since November. <laughs> All the performance coaches are like, guys, 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 you need to reduce your minutes. You know, you remind me of, you remind me of Luis Suarez running through on goal to score the winner, the league title winner. Just pure. Did you see my Godfather design. reference? No, I didn't. I know. So I was just like, Luis Suarez this season, I posted a picture of Michael Colleone with like, where he's got Fredo's face in his hands. <laughs> I knew it was you who stabbed me in the back. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, it's big Fredo energy there. Big Fredo energy from Luis Suarez. Anyway, this got silly. When does the admin not get silly? It kind of has to. Any other admin? Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Go check that. And obviously, if you do listen to a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind. Mm. Let's talk about some blooming football after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Musa Kwanga, I would like to start in Spain. If we that's have to all right start with in you. Spain. We have to start in Spain. Atletico de Madrid have won their first title since 2014, beating Real Valladolid, who needed to win. Right. This was a difficult encounter. This was a hard encounter. And I, I've seen them give teams real trouble when they play them at home, big teams, over the last couple of seasons. It was not easy by any stretch. It was not. And Real Madrid had Villarreal in the other game. This was a classic final day title shootout. And frankly, it was brilliant. It was fascinating. It really was. Real and Atleti turned up. I wouldn't say that either were at their most fluent, but they were definitely committed and they applied a lot of pressure. And even, even the similarities in the games, they both went a goal down. This was great for me because it meant that the nobody wants to win La Liga tweet got one last outing. Oh on yeah. The that final got, day of the season. That theory got absolutely rinsed. We got, we did to get blamed a lot. There's a lot of blame coming. Oh, it's your fault, Stadio. It's all good natured. But. Oh, God, I wish I had that kind of power. You kidding? Can you imagine? Palpatine on him. If we had that power, football would look very different. Let's be honest. It would look very different. It'd be extremely vibes, actually. I it, would, it would. It would. It would. It would. It would. If oh my God, is that a what if? If we ran football, it's <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> anyway, yeah, La Liga. This was really impressive. So. Both teams winning 2-1 on the last day. So Real Madrid making their opponents work till the very end. And Atleti, and what can you say? Like, I don't know, just, the, just on, on the game itself. So two players showing up really, really big. So after Vara did they take the lead, there was anxiety because we've seen Atleti mm-hmm. concede some, you know, tight games in the last few weeks. But they showed up. Carrasco brought intensity. And Angel Correa, whose finishing has been Patchy, to be honest, this season. He scored some big goals, but missed some, you know, really big chances. His finish was absolutely superb in the first half to make space for himself. He scored with like a toe poke near the box. Mm. 
almost like one of those snooker shots, like he was escaping a foul. Oh, nice. And then Luis Suarez, for him to score the winner, narrative. it's not even poetic. It's, yeah, but narrative, it's wild. It's like a level beyond, isn't it? Because even the man of the goal I mentioned just before, I alluded to, Suarez gets that ball. And there's a moment in the first half when he gets the ball. It's almost a trailer for the goal. He ends up scoring. When he gets the ball, he pushes into space and he's just not quick. He's just not quick at this point. And he's someone who made his entire game off, you know, technique, anticipation, you know, obviously football intelligence and explosiveness. Mm. So he had the technique, but he had, it was almost like Paul Gascoigne, right? And once Gascoigne lost pace, you know, obviously he was a very diminished player just because of the way he combined technique and speed. Suarez in the first half pushes off and can't escape his man. In the second half, Guardiola makes a terrible mistake. First touch from Suarez is brilliant, right into his path. And he knows it's got to be good because he knows that he's not as quick anymore. So he's got to have a great first touch. It sets him up. And if you watch him run through on goal, you're like, this is not a quick footballer. Mm. But this is an absolutely determined footballer. And it's almost as if he scores that goal with every last bit of the intensity he's been bringing for years while in Spain. And the finish itself is so assured. It's like, like watching Aguero score the last two against Everton. It's like, that is an old school masterclass. And there was something very, I don't know, there was something very kind of throwback about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it felt like a running, proper yeah. old school. It was. Like yeah. one of those things that you can imagine watching in 20 years time where it's like, and on the final day of the season, yeah. Luis Suarez scored the winner to clinch Atleti's first title in seven years. You know, it's like, Right. That one, that kind of goal. Exactly. That's, that's exactly how I thought. I was like, even the way that he finished, I'm like, only you could have done this. Mm. Only you had the composure. It's a bit like when Messi scored the title winner, I think against Atleti a couple of years, a few mm -hmm. years back. And it was a beautiful finish where he kind of dummies it and rolls it in the corner. And you're like, only you could have scored this at this time. There's mm. no one else in your team. With all respect to everyone, because we saw in the last days, we'll see in other leagues as well there was so much anxious finishing on the final day. I know. And it's not even to blame the players because it's not easy, you know, to do that. I mean, we're going to discuss the Premier League. Premier League is going to be discussed on Wrighty's house, but poor Leicester. Yeah. You watch Leicester playing out from the back against Spurs and it's not about bottling. It's just, it's just actually extremely, extremely stressful when so much is riding on a game. And Atleti came through and they answered every question mm. and they had to because in the other game, Raul, who went a goal down, put two goals up very, very fast. Benzema yes. and Modric got two late goals. Modric got a very late winner. And there was actually a period for 30 seconds at the end of the Atleti game where if they conceded, Real in the league. Mm. So it was incredible. Like right to the very end in this La Liga season, there's a thing that Simeone said. He said, and what was it? Suffering is necessary. The anxiety exists. And his point being ba basically, this is how Atleti like to do things. The beauty of this is no one's going to care. I know that they were, they kind of um, reverted to type a little bit in the back half of the season, but I think there was a lot of context to do with that. I think there was, obviously, Kieran Trippier's ban was huge for them because yes, I think a lot of people, especially who are Premier League focused, don't appreciate how important Kieran Trippier has been for Atleti this season. He's one yeah. of their most important players, honestly. Yeah, without question. There's a really good piece that Sid Lowe wrote for The Guardian, actually, today. Yeah, that kind of highlights just how important he is. It's like he's played extremely high and extremely wide. And he's also been really key for them in like a creation aspect. Their poor run of form, I think, coincided with the Trippier ban and the COVID outbreak. 
he's played pretty much every game, all game, in the league. Yeah, yeah. Either side of that ban, he's been extremely important for them. And I genuinely think if he doesn't go to the Euros, which is obviously right, and I will discuss this on Wrighty's house because we're going to be talking about the England squad announcement as well. I think it's a really bad look. Trippier has been absolutely integral in that Atleti success. And I think that this is a different Atleti than it was in 2014, for sure. Yes. It's a different Atleti than it was in 2017. They've slowly moved away. And I think that's, I think a lot of the players have had something to do with that. Like, I think you're in this at the moment. I think what we've seen, we those moments of, um, not fear, but I think Simeone, being, we've said before quite a lot this season, like, he kind of seemed, at points, he seemed stuck between yes. two he's ideas. Trying to, he's trying to make a transition, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think you're, And the fact that they've won a league title in that kind of transition of identity is massive. Because Most people don't. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Real Madrid have been poor this season. Barcelona have been poor this season. These aren't vintage Real Madrid or Barcelona sides. But that's kind of on them. That's not Atleti. If you look at the amount of money that Barcelona and Real Madrid spend on wages, Atleti have won this title with a wage bill less than half of Real Madrid's and less than a third of Barcelona's. Luis Suarez is their highest paid player. Yeah. And yeah, they've spent money on Jao Felix, but that Felix money came from the sale of Antoine Griezmann. They flipped it basically. Yeah. Yeah. Simeone is is an extremely high paid manager. But in terms of playing staff, we know that like on average, or the rule tends to be the wage bill dictates the league finishes. Yeah. It's extremely impressive, this uh, league title win by Atleti. And the other thing that's impressive as well, if you, I don't know if you want to move on from Atleti or if you've got anything else you want to add on Atleti. No, 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 go for it. No, go. But an, another thing that's really impressive is in this season, Sevilla have, re- you know, got their record La Liga points total. Right, right. Amazing achievement from Lopetegui off the back of last season's Europa League as well. And what he'd been through as well, Lopetegui yeah. and personal it's terms, a real, it's the, only, the only real shame is that getting themselves back into a shout for the league, they then kind of like stuttered in those few games that meant they were out of it again. As soon as they right, got back right. into the league title race, they were out of it again. But obviously the top four in La Liga was kind of settled anyway. But yeah, a massive shout for Lopetegui and Sevilla who have been transitioning a little bit in terms of there was a few big players left, a couple of players coming in. Just a massive achievement. Yeah, definitely. Barcelona won on the final day of the season as well and um, looks like Messi will stay. Yeah, you shared those stats um, with me about the the season oh, Messi's had. God, chance oh, top in God. goals, assists. I'm going to read this. He obviously won the Pachichi as well for the top goal scorer. It's unbelievable. This. But um, here we go. Lionel Messi, 2021 La Liga season. First for goals and assists. First for goals scored. First for shots. First chance. First for chances created. First for f- big chances created. First for through balls. First for penalty yet. Penalty area entries, first for take ons completed, first for fouls won, fouls for, uh, first for touches in the opposition box. Astonishing. It's astonishing. He's aging rather gracefully, Lionel Messi. He's absolutely astonishing. The one thing I have with the Messi, the more unfair. Um, so the Los Angeles Lakers lost to the Phoenix Suns in the first game of the first round of playoffs. I looked at LeBron James's stat line and I thought, they're making this man work too hard. And when I see LeBron James scoring too much or shooting too much at a certain period of the game, I'm like, his teammates aren't doing enough to help him out. And at the end, Anthony Davis came out and apologised to his team, said he was underperforming. 
And I look at Messi sometimes, I feel the same. When Messi, you look at those big seasons where Messi scored outlandish numbers of goals. Mm. And you look at it as a kind of, wow, 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 like amazing that Messi's done all this. It's like, no, that's a system failure because Messi only really scores if he has to. He takes responsibility when he has to. LeBron James scores when he has to. They'd rather not score in those volumes. But something has gone wrong. So Messi should not be topping in all those categories. It's, in one sense, it's amazing, incredible player. But also those numbers are a damning indictment, I think, at some level, a subtly damning indictment of the teammates. And I, I say that because obviously like we all want to see star players do their thing and be part of exciting outfits. And it's not like, it's not like, like Roger Federer at Wimbledon where he just like, he, if Federer plays his best, Federer advances. It's been frustrating this year to watch Barcelona. Um, and I'll put this, I think this is an, a recruitment issue because I think Koeman has done a better job than I expected. Not the best job, but a better than I expected and actually much better and he deserves some credit. Yeah, I agree. But the recruitment, the uneven nature of the Barcelona squad made things threadbare. You see that uh, in different leagues, different clubs, but Barcelona in particular, just the lopsided nature of all that squad. And I'm not going to name names because it's not about that, but it's more about like ill-fitting parts and pieces. And I thought, you know, to, to Kuman's credit, he shuffled the pack actually really quite impressively yeah. in most cases. There were a few games where he really should have got he really should have got them over the line. I think a couple of times in tactical decisions, there were that's right. There yeah. were questionable decisions, but overall, I don't think he's done a dreadful job this season. Especially the loss of Ansu Fati. Especially that that's a big, big absence. You shouldn't say that because he's a teenager and shouldn't rely on him. But he emerged as I think we can say this now. He emerged as a key element, and I think a reasonably fit Ansu Fati, and that could be said for Liverpool too in the Premier League, reasonably fit certain players, change the complexion mm. of the league. Anyway. I think Ansu Fati more strengthen the defensive positions and yeah. I actually think maybe keeping hold of Carlos Alenia this season might have helped him out a lot in midfield. I agree, I agree. But I think for his actual player development, it, it would have been typical if he'd stayed and then not played. Yeah. But I mean... There've been a few kind of like what's going on here moments. I mean, especially with the Pjanic thing, like <laughs> Pjanic is still a Barcelona player, which is weird. Yeah, like was, people, yeah, people yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people just forgotten he's there. But it's one of those classic transfers. It's like, it's like Edison Cavani at Manchester United, who's been great, don't be brilliant, but it's like, I wish you'd come here five years earlier. Mm. Pjanic five, well, he wouldn't have got a game five years earlier. Okay, maybe. But Pjanic maybe three years earlier at Barca. Oh my goodness. And this is what makes the, the Aguero thing to Barca, I think, quite interesting because I know that a lot of play, a lot of people have kind of said, well, we got rid of Suarez and now we're replacing him with a very similar profile striker for two years. But in the current climate, he's a different striker to Suarez. Let's get real. Not paying a transfer fee for someone. It's a moment. good piece of business, I think. And he's an upgrade on Brathwaite. It's a good piece a of business. Nine. Yeah, it's a good piece of business. It's No, let's be honest. I think it's a very good piece of business. His speed is not as diminished as Suarez's was. Mm. He didn't drop out of the team because he wasn't scoring goals. He dropped out because Pep wanted to do something different with the front line. And there's an amazing interview that Pep gives that I was talking about in the, in the chat this morning. Um, Pep talking about Aguero leaving and what he was like as a human being. And Pep burst, I've never seen Pep that emotional actually. Like in that short space no, of time to talk he bursts into tears talking about Aguero. And the you new, know, I think it is, Ryan, he basically went to manage at Man City and Aguero was a club legend before he got there and Aguero could have made it very hard for him, right? And this is the thing about Pep, and I've been thinking about this today, he's essentially quite a simple character. 
I don't mean like he's naive or ignorant. I don't think he is. He's essentially somebody. If Pep could rather, this is why all these, this is why whenever Pep steps into like uncertain political terrain, he sounds quite abrasive and, and frustrating. It's because Pep is simple in the sense that he would really rather do nothing more than just look at tactics and spreadsheets and like plan attacking lines. And so anyone that interferes with that, anyone who is addressing difficulty is like a storm on the horizon. Mm. When he arrived at Man City, Aguero could have been that storm. He was a club legend. He was a nine. He could say, I expect to play. Pep moves him out and uses Phil Foden as a false nine against Liverpool. De Bruyne, he uses all these players, trying them out in positions that, Pep, that, that Aguero knows he can score goals in. And it's pretty clear from Pep bursting the tears that Aguero had no ego about that. Mm. That is what I think is so incredible. Now, when I saw him cry, I thought, you showed us what this man is like behind the scenes. This man turned up, and I'm sure it's the same, it sounds like it was the same with David Silva as well. These legends, you turn up at Man City and you could have made life really hard for this guy. You could have sat in the dressing room, folded your arms and rallied the younger players against this new coming weirdo who was trying to make fullbacks do things they couldn't do. And you complained about none of it. Mm. And that is, what, that is why I'm quite excited to see Aguero go to Barcelona. I'm very intrigued. I'm excited I'm because I think, that, I think that his ego is going to be really good for the dressing room, actually. Mm, I agree. Um, anyway, sorry, my little soliloquy there. But no, I just had no, to, no. Yeah, it struck me a bit. Elsewhere in La Liga, obviously, it meant um, Valladolid went down because yeah. Elche beat Athletic. I mean, the thing is, even if Valladolid had won, they still would have gone down. Great win for Elche as well. Great Massive goal win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wesco drawing nil nil with Valencia also went down. Obviously, joining Abar. Did, did you see um, the thread? Yeah, Abar wrote. A, yes, Abar's Twitter <gasps> account wrote a thread, personally like thanking each club individually. Such a great football club. This is so adorable. Yeah, I really hope they come back up. They've been they've been amazing, and they really they played some great football too while they were here. Yeah. Um. Elsewhere in Spain, really, really sad news about Francesc Arnau. Yeah, who passed really away. Sad. 46 years old. Played in goal for Barca, Malaga. Yeah. Uh, he was Oviedo's sporting director. Um, so yeah, really sad news. Such a shame. A couple of rounds of fixtures to go on the whole in, well, what is now La Liga 2. But Espanyol and Mallorca are up. And um, the only possible addition into the playoffs is Real Vallecano. Gijon, Girona, Almeria and Leganes in the four spots below the automatic promotions. Yeah, just quickly uh, on that. So we get the derby back, don't we? We get the uh, Barcelona derby back, Espanyol back. We do. And there was some excitement in my mentions about Mallorca returning, which is lovely as well, because they're a team who plays some lovely football. Steve Nash's Real Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. Let's do it. All right, man, we're going to France. Liga this year has given me all my vitamins, actually. I've got to say. I mean, I'm surprised you've even been sick at all this year with the amount of vitamins that you've been pulling from football. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, this, dude's, this dude's vitamin C is it's off, off the scale. The scale. Exactly. <laughs> and the top two both won in France, which meant it was as you were, and Lille have won their first title in 10 years. Do you know what I love about this? This was, again, this was the same thing. So, very similar to the, um, oh my God, it was carbon copy of La Liga. A goal scorer in his um, later years, who's a, still a feared marksman, scores the winner in a 2-1 victory. So Lille beat Angers 2-1. Um, and PSG win 2-0 over in their game. So they pushed them. PSG pushing the title winners right at the end. 
the most impressive thing about this game was, so I had the kind of conference thing, right? Didn't it? We could watch. Oh, right. Yeah. We need to shout out Design here in Germany because yes. they did, they pulled a master stroke. This right? was amazing. This was amazing. So yeah. all weekend they actually had, they so on, they ran the Atleti and Real Madrid games and flitted between the two of them live. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Brilliant. The way they cut, the way they cut is so good. They then did the, obviously we were, I always joke about, well, I would say, talk about the conference, the, the Bundesliga conference, which will just cut around all the games and the Zweite Bundesliga one, which is even better. The zone did a Serie, a combined Serie A and Liga goal zone. Mashup. And we're just cut, all of a sudden you're watching Brest PSG and then the next minute you're watching Napoli Verona because yeah. I know you're like, this is, this is the podcaster's dream. It was brilliant. Yeah. The only reason I couldn't watch it though was because Lille Angers was so good. Mm. It was amazing. It was funny because I, st- I was like, okay, let me just see, talk to Lille Angers, but watch the other ones. But it was honestly the way Lille began, like that was a hunger. Like they had to get a win, of course, but they really attacked this game. And it was like, they scored their second decisive goal in the stroke of half time. It was the final kick of the half. And that made perfect sense because it was like every bit of intensity mattered in that opening period. Because Angers came to play. They didn't really have a vast amount to play for. They were just doing it for... For the lulls. Yeah, exactly. For the chaos. They did it for the... There were a lot... They were channeling some uh, Hellas Verona energy. Right. There were a lot of teams. (laughs) There were a lot of teams who basically in the dressing room before, like was the Elmo fire gift. And they're like, come on. We'll talk about them in a bit, but Verona, can't imagine they're a hugely popular side at the moment in Italy. Goodness no. So Angers went all in, but Lille were brilliant. And the best thing was, is the way they constructed the attacks. Both goals came from really well-planned moves. Jonathan David at the heart of both. David, Renato he's, Sanchez, Cana- he's Canadian. David, come on. Sorry. Come on. The through ball. So Renato Sanchez plays a beautiful through ball for uh, David's opener. And then David goes through and rounds the keeper and it's just a straight penalty, gets brought down. And Burak Yilmaz, who's had a stellar season, uh, rolls it in the corner and that's it. 2-0. It ends up 2-1. Yeah, that goal it was like second minute of stoppage time at the end of the game. But still, there was a bit of like... Yeah, there was a bit of a wobble. There was... <laughs> watching Lille, even watching Lille keep possession for the last like 30 seconds of the game, I was still like, nah, they've got this. They looked like the absolute business the entire way. Whereas PSG against Brest, and at Brest had, you know, Brest had to put up a fight. But PSG kind of, almost a bit of a metaphor for their season kind of getting by without the greatest cohesion. I know that Poch has done a lot to kind of bring that team together. But I think for reasons beyond his control, the squad is just not the best balanced. Mm. I don't know, there was something, str- so Neymar missing a penalty, a stutter step penalty, which you pointed out to me. Oh. The positioning from the goalkeeper. Oh. What was going on there? Mind games. I was well into it. So um, when was it? It was really early. It was like 19th minute. Mm. And... Um, Lassener, the uh, breast goalkeeper, kind of stood closer to his way, right yeah, post yeah. and left a huge gap to his left, which yeah. Neymar went for and missed. You're, I think he completely blinked because he stood so close to the right-hand post, his right-hand post, that Neymar was like, I can't go that post. I can't go in that corner. There's not room mm. to get in there. And you're right. He completely, he almost, see Neymar did the slow run-up. He basically did his own version of the slow run-up to Neymar. I've never seen anything like that. So yeah, PSG coming second, that won't be a hugely unpopular result because obviously it's giant killing by Lille. And then fascinating low down the table. So Monaco, Lens and Lyon, Nice. So Lyon had to better Monaco's results. Mm-hmm. Monaco ended up drawing nil-nil. 
but and, and Leon are leading two one, I think. They and were. Nice come back. Nice come back. Yeah, Hassan Kamara and William Saliba. Was it William Saliba got the what turned out to be the winner? So Monaco in the Champions League. It's good from Nico Kovac, man. I think that's like getting Monaco back in the Champions League is a big look. Like, especially this season when you thought that like Marseille, I mean, in the league piece, I think the Marseille, don't want to put thoughts into your head, but I think in terms of disappointments for the season, I think Marseille oh, are a big one. They were good, what, 15? They were good, like, how many points off the pace were they? Lyon and Monaco. I mean, they were really well, well in the top four. They were doing yeah. really well before Christmas. Like, it looked to be really on for Marseille. And then the whole thing just completely imploded. If you're going to pick the top four before the season started, I think you'd probably have either Lyon or Marseille in that top four. Monaco hanging in there throughout like the last stages of the season and getting back into Champions League. Yeah, really impressive. Really impressive. Yeah. But we have to talk about Christophe Gartier because this guy, man, he's the Marco Rosa of, the, of Ligue 1, by the way. He's, he's a handsome dude. <laughs> Beautiful man. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, those eyes. <laughs> piercing blue eyes but when he took charge after Bielsa left in what Chris, like Christmas 2017 just before that kind of end of end of the year they were in big trouble Leo and he kept them up that season on the penultimate match day that's how close they were to going down that year and that was 2018 and then 2018-19, 2019-20, they had top four finishes and now, like they probably could have even finished higher last season, but obviously Liga got suspended when the Corona stuff happened. And now to win the league, they've got new ownership, came in around Christmas time. <laughs> and so you've not even been able to, you can't even throw the ownership factor out there as like a reason for them winning the league really, because it's not really had chance to take effect. We've mentioned this a few times in terms of that kind of Premier League below the top four, those clubs being able to really, they play their cards right, like attract some good good players yeah. this season. I'm not even sure if Lille will need to go after players from those other parts of Europe. I think that they've got such a good record of like kind of developing talent. Well, look at, yeah, look at the, the, the way they blend of old and young talent. Yeah, it's perfect. And the way like they can you, resurrect careers. Yeah, I mean, Renato Sanchez is still in his very early 20s. You know, yeah. Jonathan David is an emerging talent. But then you've got Burrick Gilmash, who's a wily old fox who has been around. Yeah, you know? Joseph Hunt as well. Joseph Hunt, yeah, who's done brilliantly well since he moved there. And also, um, like, his, Sanchez actually hasn't been in... He's been in and out uh, in the latter stages of, of, of the, the league. Like, so they've, they've got real depth there too. Yeah. PSG, and it's strange to say, PSG do have to recruit. It's strange to say for a team that has spent money like we've never seen on a team before, but they've got to bring in players. We've said this before, but considering the finances they have, their recruitment during the off-season last season was extremely poor. Yeah. The PSG is strange because if you look at like the average salaries in Ligue 1, they're actually fairly low. They have the highest paid players in the league, but their average salary per player in the squad isn't as high as some of the squads. In See, like, for in me, league that's league, really bad for the really, dressing room. I think this highlights the gap between the best and the worst players in that squad. And it's far too big. It's far too big. I mean, for us as neutrals, it's obviously interesting because we want all leagues at the top level to be competitive. One of my favourite leagues, if not my favourite league in the world, the Bundesliga is obviously amazing, but it would be great if there were three or four teams competing for the title every season. I don't think it makes or breaks a league, but it makes 
things like this really interesting. And also that, that imbalance of money, I'm anxious about it because I find that to be quite disempowering. You know, in basketball, you have the starting five and the bench, and it's, there's a much bigger demarcation between the starting five and the bench. Football, to have within a starting team such a huge disparity in wages, I don't think that's healthy. No, it's actually. not. I don't, I don't think it's um, a good look. But then, you know, you don't want Arsene Wenger's kind of like massive socialist squad pay structure either because you've got like the most important players being paid just as much as someone who's really not performing. But there is a balance to be had there. But what I mean by this is that yeah, the budget that, that Lille have had to win the league now with new ownership, they've had their debt massively reduced by the new ownership. And I think that it's really interesting for them going forward because if this group that now owns them invests in smart ways, Lille could be an extremely attractive club to go to. And I just think overall, I think this is good for Liga. Yeah, yeah. You know, Monaco could have won the league this weekend or the weekend before as well. They were in with a shout of winning the league and so were Lyon, actually. Yeah. On the final two match days, there was still a four, like, well, potentially four teams who could have, who were in very close proximity with each other at the top of the league. I think that's a massively important thing for Liga. It's really important and people are paying attention to it as well. You saw, you could, it was anecdotal, but you saw on Twitter over the course of the last couple of months, people paying more attention going, actually, and also the stuff that, you know, there's, there's some good stuff coming out of that league. And also when Poch came out and said, the fitness levels yeah. are so impressive. Stuff like that, little details like that make people pay more attention and go, oh, like, maybe we're missing out. Maybe it's more professional than we'd, we'd figured. It's not Farmer's um, League, man. It's not. Yeah, just a little, that, yeah, that, just, that chat is also so frankly, disrespectful. Right. People say it about the Bundesliga as well. It's just like, it's ignorant. Do you know what I'll say was about, about Liga? What I love about it is, as a model to replicate for successful clubs across Europe, that's a blueprint. Mm. You know, like Udinese had back in the day or mm. Porto, you can look at that and be like, ah, oh, that, that can work for us. That is a, that's a good, good friend of the podcast, uh, Mark Cooper, who wrote a brilliant post for Celtic Underground. Mm. Amazing, looking at the kind of Porto and Udinese strategy and clubs that have done really, really well at bringing in players. I think we can add Lille to that as well, that conversation. It's just a really classy I don't know. For me, I'm a big fan. We've talked on the podcast about maximizing potential and bring the best out of players. I hope that people can look at Renato Sanchez and his career arc and really be, what's the word, um, encouraged anew about the value of just brilliant coaching. Mm. This guy's 23, Renato Sanchez, and he mm. had some difficult times. Swansea, Bayern, didn't quite work out different places. Amazing. You know, it's brilliant at Benfica when he broke through. He's 23. Goes through a couple of bad seasons, doesn't make you a bad player. No, for sure. And also, there was, well, a, there was a huge amount at, of pressure. Look at, look at Jesse Lingard. Look at Jesse yeah, Lingard. there was a huge amount of pressure that went on Renato Sanchez when he had that price tag on him. Um, yeah. I mean, we've seen, how many times have we seen it before? Like, uh, young players moving for high fees, probably too early in their career. And the amount of pressure on them is just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I've always said, you know, I, th I actually think that there, it would be great for there to be some kind of like rookie contract rule in football, which means that, you know, players can't move from their original club until they're like, I don't know, 22 or something, you know, like player moving at 18 for, for you know, 50, 60 million euros plus. Oh I mean, you goodness. look at like Sancho and Holland, for example, like Sancho had like a hundred million euros on him before he'd even hit 20. It's obscene. Honestly, like, yeah, we've talked about this before and we'll talk about it again at some point, I'm sure, on either this or Wrighty's house, but just 
career management, staying at clubs just that season longer. For example, like we'll get into the Bundesliga after the break, but the fact that Dortmund now have, I think, a really exciting opportunity to go for it next year, that's come about because two of the players who will be leading that charge made, well, their, their, camp, their player camps made brilliant career choices about where to stay and not put too much pressure on too soon. You know my thoughts on it, stay in the Bundesliga. I agree. I agree. Anyway, before we move to a break, huge congratulations to Lille. Huge congratulations to Christophe Gaultier. Yeah. Amazing achievement. And um, yeah, just more chaos, please. (laughs) All right, man, are we going to Germany? Yes, we are. Very, very quickly because, you know, we knew who won the league. We knew who was going to go in the Champions League. Robert Lewandowski broke Gerd Müller's 49-year Bundesliga record of 40 goals. Got 41 goals in 29 games. I'm going to write about this in the Bundesliga piece, and also I want to ask Wrighty about it. So yes, I'm going to save that. But at the other end of the table, Werder Bremen were relegated for the first time in 41 years. They went down in, uh, I think it was 79-80, the last season they got relegated from the Bundesliga. They lost 4-2 at home to Gladbach. Bielefeld's 2-0 win over Stuttgart meant that they stayed up. And Cologne, with a very, very, very late winner over Schalke, unbelievable scenes, meant that they will go into the Relegation, which is the German relegation playoff. Well, they will play the uh, side who finished third in the Zweite Bundesliga, which was Holstein Kiel, who lost at home to... Darmstadt, which was a bit of a surprising result, actually, because Holstein Kiel have you know famously put Bayern out of the cup this year. They had a massive backlog of fixtures because they had to go into Corona quarantine, and they came out of them firing. Actually, I was going to ask you if you thought the backlog counted in the end. It's a tricky one because it really. Mm, because they were I mean, chasing the game against Darmstadt the whole way. But basically. I think that this is the thing where games in hand and points on the board is kind of like, what would you rather take? You'd rather have points on the board. Exactly. And you saw that with Hertha as well. And I actually think that the two, the, the performances of Holstein Kiel ultimately to get into the top three anyway, yeah, they'll be disappointed. But same with Hertha. Very, very tricky positions when you've got a backlog of fixtures piling up Teams have already got points on the board. Yeah. And it's kind of tantalizingly close. They're not out of sight, but they're not massively in reach easily. Yeah. You know, it took them a few games to kind of make that backlog up and get into those positions. It's hard to say. The one concern I have about this, about Holstein Kiel there, it reminds me a bit of Heidenheim. Mm. You know, last year, like Heidenheim were quite goal shy. Mm. And you saw it in the play in the relegation. It's a two-legged playoff. You see it there where you're like, if you're goal shy, this is the thing, it would have been better having someone like Hartesfau there or Greuther Firth only because they are, they can score in volume. And I just worry for them that like, you see it in the playoffs a lot of the time, but having said that, Kona is not, Kona is not exactly like um, slinging the goals away. The second worst defence in the Bundesliga as well. Yeah. So you, does that make sense? You just see it in, in terms of relegation. It's something I've noticed the last few years where teams that score in volume or have those kind of like sharpshooters tend to be okay. 
But yeah, hopefully they can pull something through. I mean, yeah, well, I'm always. Union, I don't think Union had scored a huge amount of goals when they beat Stuttgart in the in the. That was the, that was the, yeah. They, they were the oddity. That was the yeah. surprise. That's what we couldn't believe it because Union, which we'll come on to in a sec, they have been coached to another level. Like that game, the, the two legs against Stuttgart were like tactically. They were great. You can't afford to get anything wrong. Yeah, nice. they got nothing wrong. In those I mean, two we should shout out Union because Union made it into the Conference League this week. Frankly. Unbelievable. Where are the words for that? It's not possible to actually say. Union's income, in terms of their income, like in the top two leagues, they're like, to, their income is really not that big. For a club of their stature. Schalke, Werder, Bremen, Cologne, Hertha even. I mean, this is the, the, the ironic clubs, thing, yeah. I think, you know, with, with the investment that's happened on the other side of town at Hertha, for them to be 14th in the table after escaping relegation on the last couple of weekends. Bad luck and for Union to be Albeit, this is the thing, they're only 15 points ahead of Hertha, seven places in the league. That's the difference between the European spot and the first, we'll put it this way, Kelowna in the playoff, right? There's seven, yeah. 17 points between the relegation playoff and the, the lowest European spot in the Bundesliga. God. It's tight, man. That says a lot for how tightly fought those games have been though. Yeah. How, yeah, yeah. But I mean, Erzfischer for me, I think is definitely in with a shout for manager of the season. There are other candidates. And I'm going to write about this in, in the piece this week. I mean, obviously Bo Svensson is a massive candidate because the job he's done at Mainz, the fact that Mainz were safe a couple of weekends with a couple of weekends to go. And when he took over, they were level on points with Schalke, who have probably been one of the worst Bundesliga teams in recent memory for sure. I mean, they were very close to Tasmania Berlin's worst winless streak in the Bundesliga. But they are a big club, Schalke. Big, big club. A couple of years ago, I think it was literally a couple of years ago, they were in... Um, Champions League. Yeah, in March. It yeah. was like when they, were, when they were fighting for this record, they were, were in the Champions League knockouts playing Man City a couple of years ago. That's how fast their descent had fallen. Although that season, they fired Domenico Tedesco and stayed up very late in the season. They were in trouble. But, you know, these big clubs and the fact that Union are ahead of Gladbach and... I mean, another shout for, for Stuttgart, who are still, a, Stuttgart are a big club, yeah, but they've yeah, only just come yeah. back in the Bundesliga. Yeah. The financial backing of Hoffenheim, and I think the, the job that Erz Fischer has done this season is just very quietly, like, they're just very kind of efficient, Union. And the goal that clinched their place in Europe from the most, perhaps the most Berlin striker ever to play in Berlin. Max Kruse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I wrote a tweet saying Max Kruse's Instagram story is going to be lit on Saturday. When are they not, quite frankly? Yeah, although there was some really horrible stuff that his wife got racially abused at the game and the club came out and obviously massively criticised it. That's the only real kind of like downside of this. Yeah, yeah. What did he say? What did he say? Good thing I didn't find the guy that did it. <laughs> he came out talking big talk. Listen, there's a big forest around Kerpenick and that person, they better have run deep into that forest. Uh, quickly before we move on from Germany, the uh, Frauen Bundesliga is yet to be decided. Yes. Um, Wolfsburg nearly wobbled though. Yeah, yeah. Those final round of fixtures are at this sixth uh, of June, I think. So the Bundesliga, the Frauen Bundesliga, is still up for grabs. Yeah, so Bayern are two ahead, two points ahead. So they've got to stumble the last day, and Wolfsburg have to win. But yeah, Serie A, good grief! Wow, Serie A. So all that was really up for grabs here because uh, Benevento had gone down um, in the last spot. All that was really up for grabs here was the Champions League spots, and this was kind of incredible. So. Inter had already won the league by a long way. So there were three spots up for grabs and four teams going for them. Milan, Atalanta, Juve and Napoli. 
okay, just wow. Frank, first of all, so Atlanta, Milan, Milan beat Atlanta 2-0, returned to the Champions League. Two penalties from Frank Kessier, and that was really fitting. Again, sort of something very poetic about Frank Kessier scoring two penalties whilst Latan was watching from the stands. In terms of, I think, a kind of like passing of the torch, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I mean, like in terms of a talismanic figure for Milan this year, Kessier has been superb. And I think he is, I think he's a bit underrated outside Italy, actually. Um, but brilliant again. And those two penalties that he scored, just um, I think the, they underlined what a great player he's been for them. Atalanta, slightly off the ball in the final game, but they've kind of come back pretty well. They've had a patchy season in terms of, not patchy, I mean, this second, this third in the league, but patchy in terms of they've had difficulties with players coming in and out. Um, they had some injuries, lost uh, Papu Gomez, Ilicic might have been his way out. So they've really evolved really well. Gasparini's done a great job in terms of bringing on the new crop of playmaker, uh, for example, like Malinowski, who's been brilliant. Um, and in the other games... Sorry, I think on Atalanta, <sighs> I think actually they've... I think some of their high-profile European performances, like the hammering from Liverpool, I think actually... Detracted from what they were doing in the yeah, league. Yeah, because I think that they they had a few weird games though at the beginning where they like they got hammered by Napoli. Napoli, the Napoli one. Yeah, that was a big and one. And then losing at home to Samp. But that, the reason I mention it in the league is because the Napoli one... I think it was, I think the, it Samp, made them I think it was the Samp one that was more eye-opening. <sighs> you know, I will say, because Napoli, they're a funny one. I'll come to them and say, Napoli, the reason it's disappointing is Napoli got a lot of points. Mm. Napoli played a lot of incredible football. But they had this thing where if you could weather the storm, they remind me actually a lot, Napoli, of Liverpool under Brennan Rodgers. If you could weather the early storm, you had a chance against them. Mm. And Napoli could blow you away. There's, there was not a team this, this season that were better in the first 25 minutes than Napoli, I would say, because they would absolutely burn very, very hot. Mm. Um, and I suppose the frustration was they couldn't summon that for the final game against Verona. Verona had nothing riding on this. And Napoli had to win at home to get a Champions League spot and they couldn't do it. And Juve beat Bologna, I think, was it 4-1, 5-1? 4-1, they beat Bologna. 4-1, yeah. So Juve get the final spot and it was really sad because Napoli, they went a goal up with half an hour to go and couldn't hold the lead more than eight minutes. They couldn't put together, they couldn't put together a cohesive attack and just when Napoli needed all that fluid football, it failed them. Mm. And this is the pressure of the last day, but they had a, it was also like they, they had a chance at the very end of an injury time ahead of just wide, which would have got them into the Champions League. And it's a chance that on Napoli's good day, Napoli score that. So it was kind of, it was, it's been a very emotional season for Napoli, obviously, like the mm. same season that Maradona passed, you know, it's, mm. there's been a lot of big things happening at that club. God, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a big year for them. And I guess there was a lot of frustration online just because it was like, you brought so much to the table this season. Why couldn't you bring it this last time? The thing about them is they lost, I think they lost nine games. Napoli were one of those teams where they remind me a bit of Leeds. They get a win. It's a big win. They lose. It's a big loss. And they're not the best. They, they weren't the best at managing. It's harsh to say this because it's small margins. It's very small margins, right? Like, but when it counted, it's very, very difficult to manage those games. Mm. You see them against Verona. Verona sat very deep after that goal, after they equalised. They were determined to obviously poop the party. I don't know what personal beef they had with Napoli, but... They really cared about this game, but we saw it again. They, they couldn't string together passages of decent attacking play mm. and that's what cost them in the end. But yeah, real shame for them. But Juve came through and actually here's the funny thing. Juve's forward line 
So Ronaldo's on the bench for this. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is interesting because you have a kind of effectively kind of almost like a front four: Kulusevski, Chiesa, Morata, and Dybala. That is fluid and dangerous against the right team. <laughs> Sounds like your Twitter profile. Yeah, yeah, that's my tweet. Yeah, but in particular, it's like your bio: fluid and dangerous. But a front choice, yeah, fluid and dangerous. But a, a front choice. As a, a first choice front line mm. of Keza, Morata, and Dybala. To be honest with you, Ryan, I'm like, that's what that front line should be looking like. No one asked my opinion, but it's my podcast. So I'll say it. But Keza, Morata, Dybala, that should be really dangerous. I mean, we've all read Pirlo's thesis from his, um, you know, his coaching badges. It doesn't, it doesn't really work with a player like Cristiano Ronaldo. So I'd be very interesting to see if they stick with him because... Getting them into the Champions League, minimum requirement, surely. I mean, there, aren't a, there aren't many managers out there who I think are going to completely transform Juve, really, at the moment. There aren't many around. I think given Juve's expectations, aspirations, he's slightly lucky if he does keep that job. Yeah, I do, I'd agree. But I, I also I think, think that who, yeah. who else do you have? I mean, do you, do you, if, if Juve, for example, Juve could be really smart here because there have been green shoots in some of Juve's performances under Pirlo. If there's a bit of um, squad pruning that happens, let's say, and they get a more efficient-looking squad, there's going to be some people moving on next season. Yeah. If they're going to back Pirlo, they're going to back him because it was obviously a strange hire at the time. So I'm, I'm actually on the fence about Pirlo staying, but that's a fucking tough gig for a rookie manager. And he's won a trophy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, and that's why I'm not a sporting director at Juventus. So yes, I yes, likewise. <laughs> One thing I want to mention before we um, bounce out of here is I'm slightly concerned about the burden that Europe's going to put on some of the squads that have qualified. I mean, we saw it glad back this season. They just yeah, I worry about really Union struggled. in that respect. I worry about Union in that respect. Uh, yeah, me too. Although I just, hmm, I, mean, I love no, I love the idea of playing in Europe. I think it's great, hmm. but I think it can also maybe it can arrest your development, I think, as a team. I agree. I agree. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, in a weird way, funny enough, because Union are in, you could argue it will attract more players who want to play in Europe to Union. We'll see, but they're also not a club that have the means to necessarily splash cash. I mean, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, it, they've managed their transition into the Bundesliga and then into, you know, they've solidified their place in the Bundesliga pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. quickly yeah now we've all we've all seen how quickly that can go the other way in the Bundesliga and with a couple of other leagues as well but like I remember saying chatting to Stefan Ersfeld about this who left ESPN this week by the way the great man the yes man, the great Stefan Dembo um, saying when we were talking about Hertha a while ago and I was just like I just there are three teams that are worse than them in the Bundesliga that's this like, that was always my feeling all yeah. year actually like yeah it was tight but there were always three teams worse up, worse in the Bundesliga than Hertha. And they were like, identifiably, they were like, clearly. Yeah, and right. yeah there yeah. were more than that, but there was, you could definitely say three. Right. And I mean, that is a squad actually, in terms of disappointment, I think, for, for the Bundesliga, I think just a massively underperforming squad with the, with the amount of talent they added to that squad this season. But we'll cover that in the piece and obviously in some preview pods before next season. But... Elsewhere, we haven't really mentioned Zidane. I mean, it's still up in the air whether he'll stay or not, but I think he's going to leave. Let me say this about Zidane. I wonder 
if he will look back at this season a few years now and be like, that's one of the most impressive coaching performances I turned in, maybe yeah, the okay. best. Well, if you think about what he had to juggle in the Champions League and in La Liga, I think he shuffled the pack as much as he possibly could. Mm. He got them as close to a league title as he could have got them, I think. Some would say he relied heavily just on the established players. No, he did more than that. Like he gave, he put a lot of faith in uh, Vinicius. Nacho really stepped up this year under his tutelage. Nacho, who always just, just a bad guy from an 80s movie. Nacho. Yeah. yeah. Some big bad guy, 80s movie bad guy. Isn't it guy funny how Zidane it? loves, he loves a goon. Doesn't He loves his goons. <laughs> it's like, you know, the hard, like he, yeah. Zidane loves his kind of, and I wonder if a lot of these players, like you look at, he loves these very diligent players, technically gifted, but also with a bit of edge. And mm-hmm. I was like, is this your id? You look at people like, like Valverde and Vasquez and Casemiro, who are like, absolute Zidane players. And I'm like, that's your kind of spirit there. And even there's an element of Benzema, you know, Benzema, I look at it and it's been like, um, Benzema's style is very, he's like a freelancer. He's like when you put together a creative team and you bring him in to do a job on something, he's just like, yeah, put my lunch down there, put my laptop here and I'm just on with it. And it, he doesn't care how it looks. And this thing about Real, I think Zidane, he prides himself in creating teams that win regardless of the aesthetics, which is strange considering like who he was as a boss, yeah, uh, as, a, as a player, sorry. And um, I don't know, I think he'll look at the season and be like, I coached this about as well as I possibly could because I can't look at a game or a passage of the season where I thought, ah, oh, Zidane's coaching this badly. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I can't look, I can't remember a period of the season when they had a fully fit squad. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I said this, you can, you can tell that Zidane coached this team really well because in all of the exciting games that Rail played in, they were not the more exciting team, but they still somehow came away with the points. Mm. So yeah, I wonder where Zidane goes. I mean, again, and this is the thing about Zidane, this is why the Juve qualification was so important in the Champions League. Yeah, but Juve is going to be interesting though, because it's like, I actually think from what we've seen, Pirlo has a higher potential to impart a style on, on the Juventus side. I think that's fair. That's fair. I think Juve might be more fun under Pirlo eventually if they move on some pieces. That's true. Do you know what? There's, there's parallels with Solskjaer, to be honest, in the sense that it's not Pirlo's squad yet. And as it became Pirlo's squad, we saw some more impressive results towards the end of the season. And as we saw it become more Solskjaer's squad, we did see the emergence yeah. of some kind of philosophy, ideas, fluidity. He moved on a lot of players, Solskjaer. People forget that. Outside United, people forget that he moved on a lot of players. Mm. So I just want to read a quick tweet from Zach Lowy. Lille champions for the first time in 10 years. Sporting... Champions for the first time in 19 years. Rangers, champions for the first time in 10 years. Atleti, champions for the first time in seven years. Inter, champions for the first time in 11 years. Across Europe, I think on the whole, we've seen some chaos. We have seen... (laughs) You're going to be dining out on that essay for a long time, and rightly so. Well, it's very rare that I get anything right, so... You say that. You got the Gladback and black shorts, right? Yes, I did. They heard me. They heard. Well, technically, they're black and green shorts, so they're very nice. They're very, they nice, very nice, actually. Yeah. We've probably forgotten a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, League MX final this week. Yes. Cruz Ooh, I, Azul could I win. I almost didn't want to mention it because there's a. There's the, um, don't know. Is it the. Is it, that is actually a reason I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, and that sounds wild, but. What, yeah. they're going for their first win in, what, 24 <sighs> years? And they've lost like eight or nine, I think. Oh, in that. God. Right, I reckon we should bounce. Let's do it. Don't forget, yeah, Wrighty's House on Wednesday. Myself and Wrighty talking about the England squad and the Premier League kind of exit survey. 
We'll be back on Thursday. Don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Don't forget to check stadio.football if you want to check our website. You can check us on Twitter at Stadio, Stadio Football on Instagram. We're playing out on 41 degrees. The spirit moves. Anything you want to add, Ms. Hokwonga? No, just uh, on that on that uh, emphasis of spirit, just good vibes, I guess. You know I'm all about good vibes. Good vibes and sweet goods. <laughs> that is the Okwonga way. <laughs> that is, this is the way. <laughs> this is the way. This, in fact, that's Musa. Musa. Musa, when he goes for the second dessert, this is the way. The Okwongalorian. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much love, everyone. Stay well. And we will be back on Thursday. See you then.